1: All right, before I get to my next guest, Chris Mitchell, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with golfers with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half. With a Finn Cycle, you can play a hole on average in seven and a half minutes. Have more fun. Rediscover your inner kid cruising the course on a Finn. Go online to finscooters.com to see what I'm talking about. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the Macklemore. The Macklemore mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic Macklemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts, the resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit Mclemore online at themacklemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now joining me is Chris Mitchell. I've had the privilege of knowing Chris for many years. We started doing podcasts for a baseball site called CMEDS back in 2011. He co-hosted a show called The Evil Empire in the Nation, 60 Minutes of Sox-Yankees Baseball. He's currently hosting three podcasts, A podcast to be named later, the Roto Experts Fantasy Sports Show, and the Prospects Podcast. He started his career as a producer at WBZ Radio in Boston. He's a freelance writer and a staff writer for Baseball America, Roto Experts, Draft Valet, Fantasy Draft, and Fan Tracks. He's also a contributing writer now for New England Golf. You can follow him on Twitter at CJMitch73. And I'm excited to finally get to turn the tables on him tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Chris, how are you, my friend?
0: That's a heck of an introduction, Chris. And I guess with me being on the other side of this one, I guess I can't rip you for your uh, Louis Utes in love. I always give you a hard time on that, and now because you're the host, I can't do that, right?
1: <laughs> and, and, and by the way, when we get to the end of the segment, you can't pick him in your— uh... In your foursome or for your dark horse to win the Masters, either by the way. Well,
0: you get him as a caddy. You get him automatically. So you get like a fifth. Uh, so I can pick him, but he's going to be one of my four. That's how this works? <laughs>
1: that is exactly how this is going to work, my friend. Hey, no, I, I got to congratulate you on the uh, on riding now for New England golf. I got to be honest. I'm a little bit jealous of the golf you're going to get to play, the pub food you're going to get to eat. Talk about how you landed that gig.
0: Yeah, I, I, I've been spending time down on Cape Cod for quite some time. My parents own a place. I go down and visit them, and there's so many really good courses on the Cape. Uh, I actually do a little bit of work for a couple of the courses down there. I'm a member at Old Barnstable Fairgrounds, which is also uh, – they have a sister course called Hyannis. I've been members there, and they needed a starter for a little while, so I didn't really need the job at, uh, you know, for the money, but I figured, you know, what the heck. They need a starter every once in a while for a couple of months. I, I figured I'd, uh, I'd, I'd put it in. I'd talk to the golfers. You know, the starter doesn't do a whole lot, you know says hello tells you what the courses are like and and gives you a, you know a bucket of balls so you can go down to the range and I, I was working one sunday and the the editor and owner of the site New Golf, he was playing i was like oh wow and, you know this is interesting you know i write for fantasy sports and i always would love to do some golf stuff he said yeah give me a call so i gave him a ring and i just started contributing to him i haven't done a whole lot of contributing to him quite yet to that site New Golf, but um I pretty much signed on for the same reason. I asked him, he's like, "What does this pay for article wise?" He's like, "Well, it doesn't pay a lot, but you got great perks, and that that's pretty much what I bought into, it, which was, you know, play a lot of really nice courses, hopefully both public and private, and play a bunch of free golf, and uh, and then also do the best you can to to hype the good ones, and also let people know that you know if there's something not perfect about a course, you got to be honest, but uh, you know, let people know where to go and what's uh, and some good food too.
1: So Chris, to that end. Talk about some of the great courses up in that area, whether it's you know across New England, on Cape Cod, that you know, maybe our folks don't know enough about, or folks up in that area need to make sure they give it a try.
0: Well, like I said, I, I do work a little bit at Old Barnstable Fairgrounds in Hyannis, but it's a, it's a public course, gets a lot of play. As you know, I, I was amazed. I was doing some research recently. Did I, you probably know this because you know a lot more about golf than I do, but. Uh, there, I was talking to somebody today. They said there were 10 million more rounds of golf played this year than at this exact same time last year. Can you imagine that 10 million more rounds of golf were played? I'm assuming since the beginning of the pandemic at this point, this year than last, I was stunned to hear that number. I was trying to do the math on what that might mean. That could be as much as a billion dollars. Can you imagine that 10 million rounds?
1: Yeah, no, I, mean you know, I mean, think about it, right? Because of the pandemic, what the heck else are we doing, right? We can't we can't get together in groups. You know, we're not going to, you know, for folks up in that area, you're not going to, to Fox Pro to see a Patriots game. You're not going to Fenway to see a Red Sox game. None of that stuff is happening. What else are we doing? Go out and play golf, right? Get the opportunity to be outside. You can be socially distant and have a lot of fun as well. So, you know, Chris, I'm, I'm excited for what, you know, I'm in a, in a terrible year for everything else. But what this has meant to the golf industry, for people that have come to the game, people have gone out and played more, to your point, I think it's got to be tremendous uh, for the growth of the game. It's been terrible for just about everything else that you can possibly imagine, but at least it has gotten people out to play the game. So to your point, uh, that's, that's a huge number.
0: It is. I was shocked to hear that. I did I did not know that. Um, but when you, we're talking about Cape, there's, there's lots of great courses in the New England area because it's newengland.golf. But- uh, as far as the Cape goes, there's, there's some obvious ones. I think anyone who knows who looks up Cape Golf, they're going to come across Pine Hills. Uh, and the reason for that being that they have two 18-hole courses. One is a Reese, Reese Jones course, and one is a Jack Nicklaus course. So anyone who even puts in Cape Cod and golf, A, my site's going to come up, and B, Pine Hills is going to come up. That's a, that's a good take. That's on the pricier side, but the quality is good. The course is always in exceptional shape. Uh, so if you want to just play the standard kind of everybody knows it kind of course, Pine Hills is, is very good. And again, it's got 36 holes. So if you want to play a, a long day or a couple, you know, one hole, one course, one day, one day, the next, that works uh, pretty well there. If you want to do it on the more reasonable side, you know, the, the average Joe kind of side, the blue collar kind of area where you're paying a, a reasonable price. And on the Cape, that's that you probably want to be able to do something like that. There are a lot of courses. There. As I said, Old Boston Fairgrounds is a public course. Um. But it's in fantastic shape. Somehow they keep it fantastically well uh, groomed, even though this was an extremely dry summer. Uh, I played some courses as far as some of the write-ups that I've been working on, and you get dir- you get dirty spots, you get some some brown areas in, in a lot of courses because it was so dry. And, and somehow uh, on the on the Cape, that can be a problem as well. But Old Barnstable and Hyannis um, Golf Club have both been fantastic for that. Uh, they've been just—it's uh, amazing how well they keep it in shape. So I play those courses most of the time. I think Hyannis is more interesting as far as the layout, but, uh, old Barnstable is perfect for walking. The weather is perfect. Even when it's, you know, 90 degrees or humid, there's always a breeze. It's about as high as you're going to get on the Cape. So, uh, as far as the conditions go, you, Old Barnstable for the price and the quality is really fantastic. And again, even though I do work there on occasion, I'm not brown nosing here. It actually is a phenomenal course. One of the reasons I don't play as much on the Cape as I would like is that I'm always playing at old Barnstable, but, um, uh, some other courses down there, Crosswinds is really fantastic. They've got 27 holes, so if you want to get in an extra nine there, that's really, uh, really good, a good take. Uh, Waverly Oaks, Oaks as well. There's a lot of co- courses on, on, on Plymouth, uh, right in the Plymouth area, which is anyone who knows the Cape, it's just off Cape. It's just over the bridge, or if you're coming from Boston, it's just before the bridge, and, and uh, Plymouth is a huge town. But they've got a lot of really good courses. Waverly Oaks is, is a really strong one. That's right around where Pine Hills is, um, and so if you want to go Cape Wise for that, that's a fantastic place. Uh, another interesting one, if you want to, if you really go down, uh, you want to go really down a uh, far way down the Cape. Uh, there's a course called Highland Links. It's a, it's a, it's only nine holes, so you play the blues for one nine and you play the whites for the other nine. But what's interesting about it, and what made me think of this course. And I haven't played it. I got to be honest. I heard about it. I made some calls. I tried to get on the course to, to write it up. I wasn't actually able to do it, but I did some research on it anyway. And uh, it, if you play the nine, especially if it's in the morning or if you play early in the season, it, there's about six holes that are on the water. And if you play it just right at the right time, you can actually see whales on the ocean while you're playing. So wow. I heard that story and I thought that was pretty phenomenal. I, I actually played out in California a couple of times, and there's a course out there called Pacific Groves. I don't know if people out there know that. They call it kind of like the baby pebble beach because it's it's affordable, it's cheap. There's nowhere it's nowhere near the quality of a pebble beach. I mean, what is? But it has about six holes on the Pacific Ocean, and so when I was playing there, I always go there. Anytime I go to California, I play I play that because I'm an average Joe who makes average money, so I play that at the Pacific Groves. And it's right on the Pacific Ocean. And also there's deer actually running in the fairways while you're playing. So I think of that wow. course that when, I, when I heard the story about Truro. You can actually see some whales out in the ocean while you're, while you're teeing off. I thought, you know, that kind of take, that kind of view, that kind of scenery, it's hard. Even though it's only nine holes, it's hard not to think that that's a course you really got to go to if you're going to be on the Cape. Truro is a long way down the Cape. But if you can get there, that's a, that's a fantastic take from what I've been able to gather. And I'm, I'm trying to get out there before the snow falls. We'll see what happens.
1: Are there other courses, you know, one or two other courses that you haven't played yet that you're dying to get an opportunity to get out there and uh, see what it's like?
0: There's another there are a few. There's a South Shore Country Club as well spoken of. The Ridge Club is a is a is one of those high end kind of courses. So uh, the Ridge Club's probably not a course that everybody can get on, but if you can find a way to pull some strings, the Ridge Club is phenomenally good. Uh if you don't mind going to some some other places, like there's uh Jeremy Romnick, the hockey player, he uh is actually from what I've been able to gather an investor in Pembroke country club for some good things about that. Um, thorny Lee is another one, private club. So that that's private. You got to be able to get, get a hookup on that one, but I've heard some really impressive things about that. Another course that's interesting. It's private, but it's reasonable private. you know, it's like 10 grand for a membership kind of reasonable. Uh, it's not, you know, pay 200,000 just so you can be a member kind of private. It's a 10 grand flat fee. You can do swimming and tennis and all that. It's a course called willow bend. It's on, uh, it's in the Marston Mills area. Uh, 27 holes. It uh, used to be it – was, it was first uh, – well, it was owned by a bunch of different people, but then the, uh, the creator of Reebok the Sneaker, he bought it because there's an extremely private course down on the Cape. I can't think of the name off the top of my head, but it's extremely ex- exclusive to the point where, like, Tip O'Neill, the famous uh, Massachusetts uh, um, Speaker of the House of for Congress, he couldn't even become a member at this one private course. It was so private. They exclude everybody. So the, uh, the, the creator of Reebok couldn't get in as a member. He thought it was out of of racial reasons. He thought he was, he was being banned because of, it was prejudice. So he bought Willow Bend and made it a big deal. He made all of his sponsor guys like, um, uh, he made the shark play in his weekly term. Jim Furyk used to play every single summer. He'd have a, they'd have a charity event at Willow Bend. Uh, and, uh, Jason Duffner, I think played there. I know that, um, at Robert Allenby and, and, and uh, Stuart Appleby both played there. Anybody who in golf who you, was uh who was a sponsor for Reebok all came down to these one charity event. Uh that's the course. He has since sold it, but it it's a very nice course and again, you can get on it. Uh you can probably find your way on it as a as a, as a non-member if you really want to give it a look and see if you know, if you want to say you might buy a house or you're looking to get a membership, uh, you can probably find a way to get on there. Uh, and it, it's a nice course. Willow Bend is really kept like it's kept like a, a top notch country club kind of private course. But as a member, it's like 10 or 15 grand. So it's it's at least reasonable. <laughs> yeah. if, it, if 10 or 15 grand to play golf unlimited is reasonable, that's that's a reasonable game compared to a lot of uh, clubs down here.
1: Chris, I want to switch gears and, uh, and get your thoughts. We got to spend some time on the Masters. And, you know, first, we've never seen a, a November Masters, the average temperature in Augusta. In November is a high of 67, low 47, about 10 degrees cooler than what we see in April. I want to get your thoughts. How much of a factor do you think weather's going to be?
0: See, that's interesting. When I was listening to your interview with Mark, he he stole my thunder as far as what he was thinking. I was hoping that I had some original thoughts. But one, he seemed to be disappointed in Bryson DeChambeau and how he's kind of making point to the golf that distance is all that matters. It seems like I did not like that. I don't like that either. And then the other one was that he, he raised what you just asked, which is it's going to be very different because it's going to be a lot colder. And and that's, that to me is what's interesting. You actually have been there. You know what it feels like in April. It sounds I mean, 47 degrees in Georgia. That sounds like it's almost impossible to believe. But that course, those greens are so undulating and so fast. If it's, if if they're playing in 50-degree weather, that's almost like ice, isn't it? I mean, there won't be ice, but for <laughs> Georgia, for Augusta, wouldn't that be almost like ice?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I got to imagine the greens are going to be already firm and fast, and now you, you want to turn the temperature down. Boy, I, I'm interested to see how receptive the greens are, you know, at, at that temperature, and, and then, you know, who gets the unlucky draw of the morning when it's, you know, potentially colder than that, right? So, uh, so, to Thursday me I think it's going to time or a something, huge yeah. Play. Yeah, exactly. I'm interested to see how that plays out. I think it's going to be a huge factor.
0: Yeah, I I do too. I'm one I'm wondering will they let the greens maybe maybe they won't make them quite as fast. Maybe they'll have the stemp a little bit a little bit more reasonable expecting it to play faster because the greens are I mean would would they do that as a way cuz I mean they're lightning fast as it is and then if they're slippery, how are those balls going to stick on the greens? How are the, how are they going to be able to hold their lines? I'm wondering if if they'll maybe go a little easy on the greens to make sure that they don't become literally glass on the on the grounds. I'm I, that to me is going to be fascinating. The I
1: hope
0: the I hope the broadcast covers that extensively at least in the first couple of days because to me that'll be that's a fascinating aspect of the tournament.
1: Agreed. I, I also want to get your thoughts on Bryson DeChambeau as you know. Mark talked about it a little bit, but you know we. We're here now that he's driving the golf ball four hundred yards right That's something that he's promoted um and that's without you know the extended forty eight inch driver. do you expect him if uh if the if the course is firm and fast that he could potentially overpower the golf course and uh you know be hitting drivers you know short iron into every one of these greens or uh or do you think it's going to be a little more difficult than what it sounds like
0: I think it's a proving day for 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 Bryson because I, I, Mark kind of touched on it a little bit. I think you look at him in, the, in exactly what Mark said. It doesn't matter where, he, and he proved it at wing foot, just like Mark said again, if, if, it doesn't matter where it goes. All it matters is that it gets really, really close to the green because even when you're hitting out of the rough, it's easy to get the ball relatively close uh, if you're close. It does, again, thick rough, obviously he proved that at wing foot. It doesn't matter how thick the rough is. If you're really close and you're hitting the right club, these guys are strong enough. That Bryson could put it close to the hole repeatedly, even though he had extremely difficult, almost what seemed like impossible lies. For me, Augusta is is very it's very overpowerable. I mean, if you look at all the courses these days, it's not uncommon for a 470 yard par four, and these guys are obviously reaching it with no problem at all. Uh, so a lot of these courses are a lot longer than they used to be. Augusta, I think you'll probably cor- correct me if I'm wrong, but Augusta it can't really do that. So by today's standard, Augusta is an extremely short course. I would would say, when you see these 650-yard par fives, these 530-yard par fours, I mean, these courses in general are just getting longer and longer and longer. Augusta can't do that. So I think a player can definitely overpower it. But the one area that Augusta can grit its teeth and and whistle, where I think DeChambeau is going to have to prove his mettle, and if he does it, I think he deserves a little bit more credit than we're giving him at the moment is even if he puts it close, like we talked about in the first part, those greens are so tough. You can miss four-footers. So even if DeShambeau is putting it within nine feet because he's so close to the greens on every single hole because he's overpowering the course, if he puts it within nine feet but he can't make the putt because Augusta is so quick and the greens are so difficult to putt, then that'll pretty much confirm that the reason why he's been playing as dominantly as he has, I mean, he was always a good player. I don't think we should disrespect him for that. He's always been good. But the reason why he seems like he's just dominating the tour right now or has the potential to, is that he gets so close so often. He has so many easy putts for, for birdie and eagle that he just makes a bunch of them. Is he truly a good putter, or is he just taking advantage of the fact that he's always so close to the hole? I think Augusta will, will make him actually earn it. Those short putts, I mean, you can miss three-footers at Augusta. If you're in the wrong place, even if you're close to the green and you're chipping on all these, I mean, really, that's what DeChambeau is. He's driving and then chipping. He's not He's not really approaching the green. He's chipping to the green and then he's got these really short putts. Augusta could be difficult, and if he doesn't, if he misses a whole bunch of these putts and, he, and he's fine, he only you know, two putts and he has a respectable round, that's fine. But to win Augusta, you've got to be somewhere between 9 and 12 or 13, maybe even more. He's got to make those putts, and he can't miss any of the short ones for pars either. If he does that and he ends up and goes out and wins, I think we've got to give him credit for not just being long, but that his short stuff is pretty good too. And if he can't do it, then I think we've got to continue, continue to doubt him and continue to make him prove it. Because I don't think, even though he did something with it, I don't think anyone thought he could. I'm not conv- totally convinced that, that yet. I want to see what he does on greens like Augusta. And maybe that's what golf needs to do going forward, is they need to make the greens faster and more difficult. And that's how you diminish the the power in the game today. Because I agree with, with Cal. The power is not good for the game, in my view. And and Deshambo was saying, look, this is how you win. And it looks like he's proven it. And I'm hoping that Augusta can prove that, he, that that that's not the case.
1: Chris, I want to get your thoughts on Tiger. He's a guy that um, looks like he's struggling with his game a bit right now. Didn't qualify uh, to make it to the Tour Championship here in Atlanta. Missed the cut at the U.S. Open. Finished, sec- you know, tied for 72nd this past weekend at the Zozo Championship, a tournament he won on a different course, but a tournament he won last year. And uh, that 72nd was just a couple of places out of last place. But we know Augusta National a lot of times brings out the best in the legends of the game. I'm curious to get your thoughts. you give him a chance to defend the title, or do you think he's going to struggle to make the cut?
0: I think he might make the cut, Uh, and I think that's really what's disappointing about this story is that it's not that Tiger doesn't have the game when he's playing well, but I just don't think his body allows him to play well enough. So between having to put in the necessary practice just to be sharp enough, to contend against the world's best, then go out and play 18 on Thursday and 18 on Friday. I, I just have, I just don't think his body can do it enough. Uh, you know, like maybe some weeks if he plays it just right. He always talks there. You hear the media always talking about how maintenance for him is somehow getting himself in position to be able to ramp it up in order to compete in these big events, and he's trying to find that perfect formula on how to do it. I just don't think he can. I just don't think his body can do it. And that's unfortunate because, obviously, I I was looking back at last year's tournament, and it still stuns me that he won, (laughs) to be honest. Because I look at him now, and I don't think he can play four rounds at a championship level. And yet, just a year ago, a little more than a year now, uh, he actually won a major. And and so I think that's a testament to how well he plays Augusta and how, how competitive he is as a player. So, yeah, I think he can make the cut. I think that would be a good achievement for him to actually contend, though. Like I said, I don't think he can put four rounds together physically at the level he has to it's just you know it, it to, hit, to to us it probably we don't see it but when you're off by just a couple degrees here all of a sudden you've got a 25 footer rather than a 12 footer or you've got a 15 footer rather than a tap in and in and, and over four rounds against the world's best that those tiny little differences that we wouldn't even notice is all the difference in the world between making the cut and actually contending to win and i'm afraid that physically tiger just can't those little those little differences are are all the difference in the world and i'm afraid that tiger can't do that for four rounds at the top of the level but I, I think because he's so good so he's so competitive and because he's so good at augusta he can probably make the cut i just don't think he has any can really seriously put in an effort where he tend again it would be an amazing story but I, no i don't think he can actually win this thing
1: yeah and the cold temperatures never do you do anything for guys that are or girls for them anybody that's dealing with a back uh, a back problem, so yeah, I'll be interested to see how well he plays in there as well. Um, want to get your thoughts on some of the other top players. Patrick Reed is a is a guy uh, when you look at all the odds makers listed as a a forty to one player. Uh, we know he won a couple of years ago, uh, in 2018, finished tied for 36 last year. Do you expect Patrick Reed to be a factor? I really don't he's definitely
0: one of the best in the world, and when he's on a run, he can really do it, and sort of like Cal, when Reed gets on a run, he can put in four or five birdies in a row, so obviously he has the game to do that he's obviously done it before, but I don't I, I he just seems too inconsistent to me right now at least, so would it shock me if he was up at the top of the leaderboard on Thursday or or at least lingering on Friday? It wouldn't, but for him to actually do it for four days at Augusta this week, there's so many good players right now, and there's a lot of guys playing extremely well. I don't I, I just don't think that this is going to be Reed's week and I I don't I don't know if this course plays phenomenally well for him either but um again I think he can play pretty well but I don't think I don't I wouldn't take him all that seriously at the top but again anyone can do it at that level but no I I'm not banking on him.
1: Terrell Hatton is a 40 to 1 player, pretty hot coming over from the European Tour. Never been a factor in the Masters in the past tied for 56 last year. Terrell Hatton at least A guy that uh, could be a dark horse, maybe?
0: Yeah, and and, and I write in the fantasy world. And so when you're talking about fantasy golf, picking someone far down the list or on cheap dollars if you're playing in a fantasy, a a daily fantasy site, a guy like him is intriguing, especially since he's a foreign player. So he's maybe not as well known as a lot of people. A lot of times that impacts the price that a player is listed in fantasy sites. Uh, From that perspective, a cheap guy that could be competitive, he's an interesting value for a fantasy player. Um, So I look at a lot of players that way, whether it's fantasy-wise or we're just talking golf in general. So he fits that description. If my recollection of his game is correct, he just seems to hit the ball a little low. Uh, And I think you want to be able to come in at some of these greens with some height and be able to hold it. And, again, if the greens are really slippery or they've got a skim on them or something because it's a little chilly, if, if I'm right about him being a little bit of a, a lower ball ball flight guy, I don't think that really suits this course extremely well, but playing well now is always a good thing. Uh, and I don't know if that leads to guys winning, you know, the hottest player on tour at the moment doesn't seem to win at Augusta, but again, usually the majors are at the beginning of the season, not the end or beyond the end. So um playing well could be more important this year than ever before. And if that's the case and Hatton's uh, definitely got a shot, but, I don't think his game really suits Augusta all that well. And I don't think that foreign players usually play this course all that well uh, compared to the Americans either. So I think he's got a little bit of a hill to climb there.
1: What about Webb Simpson? He's a guy 35 to one odds right now. Finished tied for fifth last year and five starts. He's never finished worse than a tied for 13th. Tied for eighth uh, at the U.S. Open a little while ago. Um, could just be a guy that uh, might actually get his second major going all the way back to the 2012 U.S. Open. What do you think about Webb Simpson?
0: You picked one of the guys that I like. I like Webb Simpson. Uh, when I was doing my a little bit of research, and, and it, Webb Simpson reminds me of Matt Kuchar. And, and all those times that you come on my show and we talk podcasts, I always talk about guys that can win and guys that are great players that just kind of just linger on the tour. Matt Kuchar is, a, by any normal standard, a great player. <laughs> don't Don't let me mislead anyone what i'm saying but what we always talk about when you come on my show is that matt kuchar is always competitive but he doesn't always seem to really be a serious contender and especially in the majors um webb simpson seems to be a lot like that for me except that he does compete at a higher level than kuchar i don't think he's quick you know matt kuchar is a 11 through 20 kind of guy that's where he seems to always finish he makes every single cut he's always around the leaderboard, but he and again he's happy but when it comes to the majors, I never think of seriously Matt Kuchar. Webb Simpson's a little bit different. He does play a little bit better. I think he's a little bit on the higher end uh, than a Matt Kuchar. And so when you combine the fact that Webb Simpson is so steady, that he's so consistent, and that I think he is a little bit better of a, an overall talent than Matt Kuchar, I do think that that he can do it at this course. And again, I don't think Augusta isn't a course where you have to over where you have to overpower the course. You know, Wingfoot. You had to be long, but you also had to be in. The, you had to be straight. Augusta is not the longest course that these guys are going to play, so I think that plays into him. He doesn't have to be the longest out there every single Thursday and Friday to be a contender. So I like I like him a lot, and the odds are pretty good. You know, He's not the seven to one of the 7-1 to favorites or something. So yeah, I do. I like something quite a bit. As far as fantasy goes.
1: Let's talk about Colin Morikawa, a guy that's 25-1. to 1. Obviously, he's won a major this year, won the PGA. It's going to be his first Masters. Is he a guy that can contend? I I love his I love his iron play. We know I guess the national is a, a second shot golf course. I think I like him. I don't know. What what are your thoughts about Morikawa and his first match?
0: You're still in my thunders. I'm thinking the exact same thing that you are. I'm hoping that golf goes the way of Morikawa rather than the way Bryson Jan Shambo is making golf look like it is. Because he is a great player. Like you said, his irons are just immaculate. It's amazing how well he hits the irons. I mean, he's had a couple of bad terms here there the last month after winning the major, but his iron play is just phenomenal. It's amazing how good he is, how accurate he is, how distance control. And and he's not he's not one of the longest hitters on tour. He's long. He's plenty long enough, but he's not one of the longer players. He just does everything else so well. I, I love the the his his makeup and, and what his game is about as far as being able to compete at Augusta. You, you, you never know. When the, the pressure of Augusta doesn't seem like it would get at him, so I, I think that's good as well. He's obviously won a major already. I love Marikawa, and like I said, I, I don't like the game going the way it is as, far as power. I don't want them to just pound the ball the heck down there. You you know me. I love to see players struggle for pars at the U.S. Open. I don't like when a Bryson DeChambeau doesn't struggle for pars because he hits it so far down, the rough doesn't even matter. I don't like that. I like I want the player like Colin Marikawa to, to – define what the future of golf is going to be. And and I think he has the game to do it. I, I'm excited about seeing him play. And I do think he can compete at about the, those iron plays and the way he can stick it. And I, I really do. I like him quite a bit.
1: What about Brooks Koepka? Here's a guy coming back from, you know, a lot of injuries. 2020 hasn't been his friend. He's a 20 to one odd favorite. Um, a guy that, you know, prior to this year, if it's a major Brooks Koepka is probably going to be right at the top of the guys we pick. He finished tied for second last year. Do you like him this week, or do you got to see him prove it a little bit to see that he's back and healthy?
0: I don't know if I need to see him to prove it. I I just don't think I'll ever buy into Brooks Koepka, to be honest with you. Uh, I'm a data guy. So when I write about fantasy sports, I I write at fantasydata.com. And before I put any profile together, I find stats and numbers to back up what I'm saying. If I don't have stats and numbers, then I don't write up a profile. And Brooks Koepka has the only thing he's really proven to us is that when they, when it matters, he's amazing. Now, granted, he was in the top five or ten in the world for a while there, and and but I don't know how those rankings work because it seems like you put together nine good weeks and all of a sudden you're in the top 20. So I don't know how those algorithms function. The only thing he's really proven to us is that when the tournament matters the most, he is extremely good at being competitive or outright winning. So I, I would never bet against him. But because he's not consistently amazing like a Justin Thomas or even a, a D, uh, you know a, a, John, a Dustin Johnson has has become consistent. He was a little inconsistent for a while early in his career, but he's become consistent now. John Rahm even is another guy who's pretty consistently top ten. Until Bert Kepka does that, I will always have doubts that he's going to win. Even though he's got the pedigree, obviously, and there's no doubt. It would not shock me one bit if he went out and got it done. But until he does it consistently for three years in a row. I mean, that's a lot to ask, but until he becomes that type of player, I'm always going to have doubts that he's going to get it done in the major. And so I'm going to be approaching him the same way uh, this time
1: around. You mentioned Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas, 14-1, to getting a little better every year at the Masters. Last year, finished tied for 12th. We saw him uh, not long ago finish tied for 8th at the U.S. Open tied for 2nd last week at the Zozo. He's won three times this calendar year, most recently at the WGC event back in August, is this a guy that uh, you think is really going to be there on Sunday afternoon?
0: I think he's the best player in the world. I think when you put together everything, as far as hitting the irons, both consistently close to the pin, but also distance, you look at his driving ability, you look at his, he, he, there is no such thing as Tiger Woods anymore. Tiger Woods was kind of an anomaly. He was amazing at everything. He didn't just dominate the course with power, like, like Bryson DeChambeau is Tiger was amazing at everything his short game his putting he could hit it long and high but also extremely accurate tiger was just amazing there is no tiger anymore but i think justin justin thomas is the closest thing to that in the game right now again nowhere near that level i don't want anyone who's listening to think that i'm saying that justin thomas is almost tiger or the next or anything like that but he's got the everything in his game that i think very few players have Uh, I don't know why he hasn't done as well as he probably should have at Augusta. Augusta isn't an impossible course. Maybe he doesn't move the ball from left to right and right to left enough to to be good at Augusta. I'm not exactly sure why he hasn't been more effective at at Augusta. and Maybe that's why he won't do good this week if he doesn't. But to me, he's got the most all-around game, all the facets. He can get up and down. He can also make putts. Um, So for me, going into every tournament, he's a favorite. Um, the only thing that would concern me is, like you said, you kind of pointed out the fact that he's just not really that good at the Masters. And I don't know why that. I guess he's going to be a little bit better for me to feel confident in it. But like I said, I think he's the best in the world. And so uh, he's probably going to be in my fantasy lineups because I just think he's the best.
1: Uh, let's get a couple of more players and then we'll get into our picks for, for the tournament. Xander Schauffele is a guy that I'm waiting to explode in a major. Always around the top five or 10 he's a 14 to one odd uh tie for second last year six top six finishes and majors and 13 starts could this be a guy that finally wins a major
0: it could but the way that i look at these things especially again from a fantasy perspective because when i look at things from a fantasy sports perspective you're trying to find value so picking all you can't just pick the five best players in the world and put them in your lineup you have to find somebody who's undervalued as far as price so how good is a player compared to how much he costs in order to have him on your roster? I look at players that way, so that, and in many ways, regardless of whether I'm playing fantasy sports or not. And to me, he's obviously a very good player, and that's why he's rated as highly as he is, and yet he, doesn't, he hasn't broken through, and why isn't that? So for me, I look at him as being overpriced. So he's a little bit overrated. Would he go out there and win? He absolutely, he's going to eventually, I would think. I mean, Sergio Garcia eventually did. Uh, Phil Mickelson eventually did. I don't know how many people are old enough to remember that Mickelson never really got it done early in his career. Now, it wasn't really his fault. It was the fact that Tiger Woods was on the scene. But nonetheless, there was a long time where Mickelson was the best player never to win a major. Shoffley, is, it might, you know, maybe he doesn't deserve that title yet. But if it's two or three more years from now and he still doesn't have a major or he hasn't tied, he hasn't come in second or tied and gone to a playoff in a major, he's going to get that title. And for me, at least right now, he definitely deserves to be rated that highly, and I expect him to be competitive. He's a great player; he does everything. I really heard him, them say some really great things about him a couple of weeks ago, about how everyone on tour thinks he's essentially the most, the best all-around player on on tour. I, I just don't know. I don't think he's going to win it. He's got to go out there and, and and really get it done. And I I just think he's going to be good, but not great. And good doesn't good doesn't get it done at Augusta. I don't... Let's
1: let's group three players together, three of the top players in the world. Rory McElroy's fourteen to one He's a guy that we've been waiting for for years to win at Augusta National to, co- to uh, complete the career Grand Slam. Dustin Johnson, obviously, is a guy that was on fire for a while this year, finished tied for sixth at the U.S. Open, five, finished tied for second last year in the Masters. And then, of course, John Rahm, you mentioned a moment ago. There's another guy that's uh, been on fire this year, tied for second just this past weekend at the Zozo, uh, finished uh, fourth in 2018, tied for ninth last year at Augusta National. Those three guys, do you like all three of them to be around the top of the leaderboard on Sunday? Do you like one, two? What What are your thoughts on those three?
0: I would probably rank McIlroy the number one player in the world as far as just the all-around makeup of his game if I didn't feel like I was disappointed. I feel like McIlroy should be essentially almost like Tiger. Again, nobody competes at the same level as Tiger, whereas Tiger won, what, a third to as much as a half of all of his starts? for about a three- or four-year period. I mean, nobody dominates the tour like that. So I'm not trying to, again, compare a McIlroy to a Tiger. But if there's anybody who does it all at a level as high as Tiger, anywhere close to Tiger, it's McIlroy. He has the game to do everything. And yet, for some reason, he's just really good, it seems like. He just, to me, is a disappointment. So when he goes into a major, because of his all-around game, he should be at the top, and he should win a lot more. And yet, because he doesn't, I always downgrade him. So. Would it surprise me in the least if he's at at the you know up near the leaderboards on Friday and Saturday and maybe even on uh, Sunday? No, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. But I just don't think he's going to break out and go out and, and win this thing. It wouldn't surprise if, to be honest with you. If, if he was going to go out there and win, I think he'd win by like five or six strokes. He'd just blow it away. His overall talent, I think, is so much better than everyone else's, even significantly better than Justin Thomas's. That if he just puts it all together, I I think by by Sunday morning, the tournament will essentially be over. So for McIlroy to do it, I think it will have to be a pretty boring Masters. Uh, I just don't think he's going to because he just he just doesn't meet the standards that he's already set for himself. And maybe that's unfair. Huh? I'm unfair with these guys, as you know. I've been criticizing Jordan Speed for years with you on my shows, which is unfair. But the fact is, I, I just expect a lot from McElroy And while he is extremely accomplished, he doesn't quite get to that level yet. So So every time I look at him, I think he's a bit of a disappointment, so I always pick against him. So I'm picking against him again, and, you know, hopefully he proves me wrong because, again, he is an amazing talent. John Rom, it's amazing to me how consistently good he is because he hits the ball so far. He, he gets it up in the air. He's so competitive. He makes some mistakes out there. Things like he makes some mental mistakes or just he gets too emotional and he, and he, and he throws away a shot or two uh, because he just gets so heated. But he's there all the time. So as much as I, I just don't think Rom is going to win, I definitely expect him to be in the top five. I definitely expect him to at least have a shot in the middle of Sunday. Um, but if I had to pick someone, I'm probably going to put Rom in my lineup. But I don't think he's going to win it. I wouldn't put my money on Rom to win it. But it wouldn't surprise me in the least if he did. What was the other third player? I I I, I didn't hear the Dustin Johnson. Dustin Johnson. I wonder. I wonder what happens when when people you know coming off of the COVID list. Uh, has he been able to practice? Are there any lingering effects? Is there anything that, I don't know what he's going to uh, be like when he gets out there. Sometimes rest is a good thing, but since they haven't played as much golf this year as they usually do, I don't know if players really need the rest. So I don't don't know if Dustin getting a couple weeks off is is, is something that he would have needed. I think it might turn out to be a little bit rusty, but obviously he's got as much game as anyone in the world. He's long, but also consistent and straight. Um, So he can definitely be in there. I would definitely, have no surprise if he ends up going out in there and finishing the top five. But anytime a guy hasn't played for a few weeks, I, I just got to, I have to wonder if he's going to be ready, but I, I, he's a top five player and he usually plays like that. He's much more consistent than, than most players at this point in his career. So I, he definitely can do it, but again, I'm not putting my money on it because there's just too many reasons to have some doubt. And, and those, those little nuggets that sit in your head that create doubt, to me, Johnson has enough of them where um, I think he's going to be very good, could be very good, but I, I don't think he's going to be great
1: and walk away with the title. All right, there's three other guys I want to get your quick thoughts on, and guys that have sort of disappointed, if you will. And you mentioned Jordan Spieth, and you know what a big Jordan Spieth guy I am. But um, he's a guy that um, always plays well, right, at the Augusta National. I mean, he's, he's finished tied for second, one tied for second, tied for 11th third and then tied for 21 last year so it always brings out the best in him not sure he'll he'll ever shake the ghost of 12 but it'll be interesting to see if he ever has an opportunity to uh to win the golf tournament how he does on 12 again um ricky fowler is a guy that is uh, essentially disappeared and you know a guy that i think we all had a lot of hopes for that he was going to be a dominant player last season uh he's only made eight of 14 cuts right in 2020 um and then Sergio Garcia, a guy that won a few years ago. He's 50-1 to odds. Won a couple of weeks ago at the Sanderson Farms with his eyes closed. Um, curious to get your thoughts <laughs> of any one of those three that might be affected.
0: Sergio has been another guy that was the best player never to win a major until eventually finally he did. He's such a good ball striker, even still now. I definitely think he can be out there. He hits the ball long and straight. Not as long as the longest, but he hits it plenty long enough, and he's such a good ball striker. I don't. The, the problem with him has always been putting, and that's why he's putting blind. Is because he he's always chasing some way to somehow putt just a little bit better. But he's such a good player from tee to green that he's been able to win tournaments. That he's had an anom- uh just an enormously successful career. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he really was competitive this week. But to go out and win, uh, and that's that's a stretch. Uh, he'd have to really putt extremely well and he'd have to get up and down really well. And I think he can do enough as far as around the greens, but I just don't think he's going to be able to putt well enough. And that's always been the problem, and I expect that again. But I would not be even remotely surprised to see him extremely competitive. He's one of the best pure golfers from T to green, I think probably we've seen in 20 years or so. So that I think that will bode well for his performance at Augusta. I just don't think – I think the putting will, will just not be enough for him to actually go out there and win the thing. I'm pulling for Jordan Spieth. As much as I've been critical of him, when you come on my shows, I'm critical because he just doesn't have the talent that some of these great players have. He's, an ex- but I love him because he wins anyway. That's what's so great about him. He, he, a, he's a great person, from all I know. But on top of that, he's just a really smart golfer. Normally, he he just he's competitive. He grinds. He gets it done. How he's been as successful as he has with with being probably. I mean, if you look at him, I don't. Again, I don't want this to seem critical. But if you look at his pure skill, his ability at the level, he's probably not even a top 50 pure talent. Uh, You look at guys like Justin Thomas and, and Dustin Johnson and John Rahm and even Bryson DeChambeau before he became the monster hitter that he is now. All of those guys are physically just significantly more talented naturally than Jordan Spieth. And yet, obviously, he had a phenomenal start to his career. That's great. I love that. And I'm hoping that Spieth can put it together and somehow find his way back to what he was. But he, again, he, he just, he can't, there's no margin for error there. His ceiling is so low because he's just nowhere near as talented as so many of these other plays. It's kind of like, um, he just, I hope he can do well. I just don't, I just don't, I just don't think he can. He's got to put it together consistently for a while before I'm going to buy in. And also he's got to drive the ball better. I mean, to, to be competitive, Augusta, you at least have to put the ball in the fairway and, he hasn't seemingly been able to do that for quite some time now. So I'm pulling for him. I hope he gets together. The game is much better off when he's competitive. A guy who doesn't just dominate the course because of talent. Uh, the game is so much better when he's good. And I hope he can turn it around. And I was had hopes. La- what, last week he was—he looked pretty good on Friday. And then by the time Sunday came around, he had kind of fallen off. I think Saturday he had a little bit of a struggling day. Uh, so it reminded us of the struggles he's been having. But um, I'm hoping for him. But, no, I, I don't see how he gets that done
1: all right chris it's uh it's time for us to to pick our foursomes a dark horse you call it a caddy uh and uh sort of the guy <laughs> that uh, might come from out of nowhere to win so give me give me your foursome your dark horse and, and the guy from way downtown
0: i got a few guys that are interesting i'm interested to see how matthew wolf does Because every time the media, every time you watch any tournament, all the broadcasters, they always talk about how, yes, he has this little herky-jerky motion, but at the key points in his swing, he's exactly where you're supposed to be, and essentially they're implying that his swing is normal. I buy into that. I'm not a golf coach, so I'll buy into that. Um, But it still amazes me how good he is, not just distance, because obviously he generates a lot of club head speed, but how often he sticks the pin from from the fairways just amazes me. To have that little herky-jerky motion and stuff, and yet he just sticks the pin over and over and over. I'm intrigued to see, because he hits it so far. If he can stick the flag like that, then he doesn't even need to putt well to, to be able to compete. Wolf is obviously a very well-respected player. He's, he's proven that he's going to be a great player. I have no doubt about that. But he's not a Justin Thomas yet. He's not a Dustin Johnson yet. So I'm intrigued to see if he can establish himself not only as one of the great players that he's going to be, but can he put himself up at the top five and put himself in that, that discussion? Because his physical talent is, is every bit as good as essentially almost everybody. Uh, so I'm intrigued to see if he can go out there at Augusta and do that. I wouldn't call him a dark horse his course. He'd be one of the good players that I don't think is one of the top favorites yet. He's the guy that I'm interested to see. Another one that I think – there's a couple guys that I have that I think if they can win a major like the Masters, then they will go from being a guy that everyone knows is good, but then he can, so they can – cement themselves as one of the top players in the world and there are a couple guys I see that I see that as Patrick Cantlay and Joaquin Neiman I think both of those guys are extremely talented and they're not getting the respect they deserve yet but consistently week after week they're good and everybody knows them they're not nobody but they're just if they can win a major all of a sudden they will cement themselves as a top 10 player and they'll be one of those guys that you, you hear in the advertisements when the golf channel advertises on Tuesdays and Wednesdays you know John Rahm is going to be here McElroy's is playing this week and so is Patrick Cantlay or Joaquin Neiman. If those guys could go out there and win a major, I think that is what they need to cement themselves as one of the world's best. And I'm intrigued to see how they do. As far as the dark horses go, I got a couple that I'm interested in Russell Henley. He's playing extremely well. He obviously won a few weeks ago, but his putting has been phenomenal and his approach game has been extremely good. That's a guy that's fallen down the list because he won recently. He's not a nobody. He's on the radar because he won recently. But if he hadn't won, nobody would know who the heck Russell Henley is. I think that qualifies as a as a dark horse. But he's one of those guys, like we talked about before, does does playing well right now matter? I think maybe this year it might matter a little bit more than most. And right now, Russell Henley's playing extremely well. He's exciting to me. And another one, I was, uh, I was looking through the stats, Jason Kokrak. Obviously, he won recently as well, so that's going to bring people uh, around to his name so they won't be shocked. But how well he's putting and how good his strokes gained have been, Again, that's in, that's impressive to me. I think you got to do that well at Augusta. And for me, that he's just he's a, a hot player who's doing the things that you need to do to to be good at the Masters. And, I, that's a, again, I think he would be a dark horse if he hadn't won a couple weeks ago. Um, he's a, a guy that I, I'm intrigued by. And, again, from a fantasy perspective, he's down the list as far as cost goes. And then Scotty Scheffler. I think he's exciting. I, he's been sneaky good. Again, he's been playing consistently better for a while now but he's not a guy that people know. He's not a household name. Uh, he hasn't won consistently enough where he's, he's in the, the forefront of people's minds. Um, so I find uh, Scotty Schaeffler to be an intriguing guy. And again, he's playing well and he's doing all the things you need to, to do well at Augusta. So those are guys that are further down the list of, that I'm intrigued by.
1: Well, Chris, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and or to be a part of the show and uh, to share your knowledge and your insights. I tell you, I, I like the players that, uh, that you've listed there. Um, I'll throw out a couple of mine as, as a dark horse. I like Hideki Matsuyama finished tied for 32nd last year, but he finished fifth in 2017 and tied for seventh in 2018, T11 and 17 and then, uh, 19th in 2018. So uh, I like him to kind of round back into form. I think he's a steady player. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what he does. And from a guy from way downtown don't uh, don't discount uh, Ian Poulter. He's a guy who finished 5th at the BMW Championship a couple of weeks ago or over on the European Tour. If someone's going to come from out of nowhere, I wouldn't put it past a guy like Poulter. Uh, he always seems to certainly at the Ryder Cup figure out a way to to get himself uh, you know, hyped up and uh, take down somebody. So, he's a guy from way downtown that uh, I'm interested to see how well Poulter plays. But, um thank you Chris. You're fantastic, my friend. I can't thank you enough for uh, for being generous with your time tonight and coming and being part of the show.
0: Anytime you want to have me on any of your shows, you guys do a fantastic job. I love talking golf, like talking football, whatever you guys want to do. Uh, I love coming on the program. You're a fantastic guest. You're, you do a great, great job show-wise. So anytime you need me, just give me a quick ring. I got eight minutes. Anytime you need me.
1: <laughs> you're fantastic let our listeners know how they can follow you on social media and listen to your shows chris
0: it's the best way to follow me probably is on twitter because i put links to pretty much everything i write or anything that i podcast um so at cj mitch 73 again at cj mitch 73 cj 73 you can talk at me you can talk about me you, know, you can get links to anything i write or a podcast on and uh, if you want a little politics from time to time, just so I really get frustrated and can't keep my mouth shut, you can, uh, you can talk at me there, too.
1: Chris, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe. Look forward to catching up with you again soon.
0: You too, the man. Thanks for having me on. I
1: appreciate it. All right. Take care, Chris. That's Chris Mitchell. Again, at CJMitch73 is how you can follow him on Twitter. And uh, his podcasts are fantastic. Like I said, I've been blessed over the years to uh, when, it, when it came majors time. And this, uh, this year has obviously been uh, crazy in, a, in every different way. Uh, so we haven't been able to connect as much this year, but we talk majors all the time. And uh, Chris knows his stuff. Uh, great baseball writer, as a matter of fact, and a, and a great baseball podcast host. So Chris uh, does a fantastic job on all of those things as well. So I highly encourage you to uh, to follow him again at Mitch 73 Uh, Check out his links. Listen to his podcast. Uh, He's as knowledgeable as they come, folks. And uh, we'll certainly get uh, back together with Chris again next year. All right, my friends, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the T. My sincere thanks go out to Hal Sutton, Mark Kalkavecki, and Chris Mitchell for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. Now, we're going to be off next week, right? It's, it's election night, so I'm sure everyone's going to be glued and interested to see how that thing turns out. So we'll, we're going to take next week off. We'll be back at it Tuesday, November 10th. And scheduled to join me that night are going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. John Patrick, the host of the Augusta Golf Show, really looking forward to having John back on the show. We'll certainly do a recap of the uh, of the Masters, so looking forward to getting his insights, And then a guy that I miss, you know, broadcasting at the Masters. Mr. Ben Wright is going to be back, so looking forward to getting his insights on the Masters as well. Folks, you can stream this show as a podcast on a number of great sites and apps like podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. Folks, if you've got a favorite podcasting site, I'm pretty sure we're on it. Just go into the search bar, type in next on the T. I'm sure you'll find us. Folks, thanks again for choosing to listen to this show tonight. I really appreciate the fact that you continue to make us a part of your golfing content. See you in a couple weeks. Stay safe, everybody.